You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Today's sermon text is from Acts 13, verse 42 to 52. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to, to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. Good morning, good morning, good morning, King's Cross Church. I am Chad, one of the pastors here alongside Aaron, and I am excited to be with you as we continue in the in the book of Acts, the recording of God advancing his kingdom uh, outside of the, um, Jewish culture and into the world around it. And this, where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 13, hopefully you'll follow along with us. We have a Bible, for, if you don't have one with you, there's going to be words on the screen, but there's a Bible right in front of you, hopefully underneath the chair. Um, it's a great way to check what I'm saying and to read along because uh, because. We're seeing this at the turn of Acts, at the end of Acts 13. Paul has come into uh, and begun his missionary journey out of the original Antioch in Syria, where they've sent him on, and now he is in uh, Obsidia, Antioch, and he has already delivered quite a crowd-raising sermon, if you will. It has brought the attention of the synagogue and after he finishes that sermon, the last couple weeks, and last week we celebrated the Lord's Resurrection and Easter, we talked about how he called people to not wait and delay, but to respond to the res- resurrection of Christ. And at this point in chapter 42, we see how people respond themselves to him. And so I'm going to ask uh, you pray with me because I want to see together, as we look at the text, in Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through 52, if we might hear the Spirit speak to us as well and instruct us out of this text of what we might learn from Paul and his mission. If you would pray with me. Father, this morning we're thankful for the opportunities to open up your word. We're thankful for the chance to be able to um, explore what you have given to us and what you have revealed to us in Acts and in the rest of Scripture. God, I pray as we hear this message that we ourselves are stirred by it, I pray, Lord, that as we hear the responses to Paul, that we ourselves would respond. And God, that the the Spirit of God, that the power of the gospel would be evident with us this morning. Make us more like Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. So, 
if you're not already aware of this, you probably have noticed that a lot of advertising has a lot of smiling faces. Most advertising is trying to sell you on joy. Maybe this is a shocker to you. Maybe you're in marketing and advertising in school. You're already aware of this. Maybe you just realized that whenever you watch somebody drink from a big bottle of Coke, they seem to be really happy about it. Just made their day. Actually, there's a 2022 Forbes article titled Why You Should Be Marketing with Joy that talks about the very intentional way in which this is done. A section of this article says this, that joy is a great emotion to convey in your marketing that makes an unspoken promise to the consumer. Although you shouldn't explicitly say this product is guaranteed to make you happy, conveying joy allows the consumer to make that jump themselves. Consumers purchase something to fill, fill a need. Happiness or joy is a need. Incorporating the word joy into your marketing can compel the consumer to fill that need without any broken promises on the company's part. Marketing with joy separates your product from the rest on the shelf. Of course, your product is also efficient, high-tech, and innovative, but what your product does that others don't is bring joy. Remember an advertisement from an old Samsung? I think it was a brand new thin LED TV, and it said, change your TV, change your life. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite the assertion. Matter of fact, there was another comedian that pointed to the fact that the cereal brand that came up with the idea of calling themselves life, he said, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? What do we call this cereal? This cereal is life. <laughs> All of these things are promises that the world is offering. And I don't know, and I would actually say, other than we see this article is clearly telling you to convey that, that there's an outright intentional nefarious thing where they're like, hey, let's go ahead and get the gospel. Let's distract people. But all these things are a temptation. They're, they're a selling point for joy in this world that are a substitute for where real joy is found. Psalm 16, in verse 11 specifically, the psalmist tells us that God himself, you, reveal the path of life to me. And in your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. That we would find joy in the, in the joy giver, the creator of all things, is how we're made. That our spirit, to commune with him, to know him, to love him. And also, beyond that, to join him in, him in his purpose on earth. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas are doing in this particular passage, they are joining God's mission, specifically Jesus's mission, to bring the gospel to all the earth, to the ends of the earth. When they, when they go down this passage, we see that they come to a place where there's a Jewish synagogue, and they join the Jewish synagogue, and the Jewish synagogue, the leaders there say, hey, do you have a word you'd like to, set, to uh, share with us? And so they do, but they bring something that's a little unique, actually incredibly unique. They say, not only do we have a word, but we have a Messiah that God has sent. And you need to follow him. And his name is Jesus. And we put him to death. And he rose from the death. And he's offering life. In the very end of that passage, they say this, in fact. They say that everyone who believes in him is justified. Justified. And, and they're justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. In fact, through him, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. They brought that message. 
And in bringing that message, we say, yes, we stand on this side of the eternity, right? We sit on this side and we say, yes, on this side of the cross, that the, the message has come to all people, but they brought a radical message that it's not just for you Jews only, but for everybody, for everybody. And so when we look at this, we might not be surprised, and we're likely not surprised, that the gospel, this message they bring, is for everyone. But we can also still look at this and maybe together learn something about how we join the joy of Jesus' mission. Because I think there's so many distractions that keep us from that that take us down a path of some other promises that will be broken when in fact when we are made to find joy in God himself that we can find no greater joy than being on the mission that Jesus has set out from us from the beginning of the church. In this passage, Luke is writing about the story that Paul and Barnabas are going on this adventure because they want believers to find joy in advancing God's kingdom. They want the believers to find joy in bringing the message of salvation to all people. They want them to find their joy in Jesus' mission, and that's what I want for us. I want for us to find that joy and that, that the gospel goes forth, and that is sufficient and beyond for our joy, no matter the circumstance of our day-to-day. So if we're going to look at this text and see where where it's evident they have joy in the midst of trials, where they have joy in the advance of God's kingdom, I want to look at specifically four truths that are evident in this text. And two of them are first truths about this world and the people in it. The first one is this, that many, there are many who are hungry for Jesus's message. Now there was once a common saying, I don't know if people say this anymore, that there are three things you don't talk about, politics, religion, and money. Okay? Now clearly the internet has proved that politics was detrimental to talk about. As well as religion. I mean, where people tried to avoid that because it was easier to be able to go to a Thanksgiving meal once a year with that really crazy uncle with the weird ideas when you didn't know what they were. Because you didn't have to talk about it. But now some people like to get online and just fight about politics and religion and money. I completely understand the desire to avoid drama. Believe me, I don't like conflict. If I can avoid it, if it's not necessary. But this passage, in fact, reminds us that there are people with a hunger for Jesus' message. Look at verse 42, how the Gentiles respond. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. They said, come back with this. What is this stuff? Come back with it. And in verse 43, after the synagogue had been dismissed, the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas out, literally saying, hey, can you tell us more about this? We're following them along the road. And the entire time it says what? Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. And then finally, in verse 44, the following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. This is not a Jewish town. This is a Gentile town. Jews and devout converts here that they're talking about for some context clearly are practicing Jews, but also people who were not born Jewish, but they're also called proselytes, all right? So for a little context, proselytes are people who would have gone through all the Jewish rites to, to practice as Jews. So they're Gentiles. They've gone through all the deal to be Jewish. They were also including some God-fearers, 
But sometimes God-fearers were just those who come because they're, they're, they're interested in the one king, but they haven't gone through like circumcision and baptism and those things that would make them fully a part of the Jewish community. The whole town that came, though, is not just the proselytes. That's everybody else. That's all the pagans in town. The people aren't normally there. The Gentiles. And what did they come to hear? Well, we just talked about this from Acts 13. They came to hear that forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. That salvation is available not only to the Jews, but to all people. Everyone who believes. And my encouragement to you is this. The world is full of people who are hopeless and people who are hungry for that message. It's good news to them. It's good news to them. Did you know a 2021 Harvard poll said that 51% of young Americans say that at least several days in the last two weeks before that poll was, was done felt down, depressed, or hopeless. 19% said they feel this way more than half the time. In addition, 68% have little energy. 59% say they have trouble with sleep. 52% find little pleasure in doing things. 49% have a poor appetite or are overeating. 48% sight concentrating is a problem. 32% are moving so slowly or are fidgety to the point that others notice. And 28%, nearly a third, have had thoughts of self-harm. In the two weeks before the poll, 53% of college students said that their mental health had been negatively impacted by school or work-related issues. Overall, 34% had been negatively impacted by the coronavirus. 29% had self-image issues. 29% had personal relationship issues. 28% had social isolation. 25% economic concerns. 22% health concerns. And 21% over politics. Every single promise the world makes. And they're hopeless. Now, I understand that it might seem trite for me to suggest Jesus is going to be your answer. I'm the pastor. But I really truly believe that the world's making promises they can't fulfill. And to be honest with you, it penetrates the church because we feel some of the same issues, don't we? We're putting our hope in things that are not Christ himself. And we're being disappointed day after day by all the things this world has nothing to give. And we probably fit within these statistics. Now, when I talk about evangelism or bringing the gospel and good news to people, I can also understand the stigma developed around the idea of evangelism. Listen, I grew up in a world of different evangelism strategies. For anything from the way of the master, and if you're familiar with that, I see smiles. Three circles, I've taught that one. Learning to be clear about the gospel is a really good thing. It really, truly is. But my concern is that many strategies that we try to employ have made gospel conversations feel more like a transaction. That, that we want to close a deal. I, I have an uncle who's a pastor in Michigan, and he once shared about an incident where he was in line like at a gas station, and someone tried to share the gospel with him, tried to spark one of these that they had learned. He said, I'm a Christian, and it felt awkward to me. 
And some of these conversations are uncomfortable because people don't want to broach these topics. But my encouragement to us is I want us to be so full of the gospel that we love our neighbor enough to have a concerning conversation and to share the hope we have. That the hope that's in us is exactly what Paul says, that we should look at others who are hurting people and if the gospel has changed us and given us life in Christ, we need to learn to care for and talk to hurting people. To love them. Galatians 5.14, the whole law, Paul sums up in this way, that to love your neighbor as yourself. To not be obsessed and worship comfort. To not concern ourselves with, is this going to be awkward, but be willing to put ourselves on the line for the sake of another. Did you know in that same Harvard poll that 40% of those young Americans also expected their lives to be better as a result of the Biden administration? New administration, new hope. Looking to something new because it's going to be the change. And I'm not suggesting I care if it's Republican or Democrat. I'm saying it's the wrong hope. Hope in politics, hope in wealth, hope in success, hope in every savior the world might come, uh, might point us to. Believers, you know the Savior who brings us true hope. There are people all around the world hungry for the hope of Jesus, and we don't know who might respond with the same enthusiasm that these Gentiles showed. Here, we could be like Paul, who is urging them to continue in the grace of God. Charles Spurgeon, who was a pastor way back when and theologian, he had the same issue where he said, I don't know who's saved. And he's quoted as saying this, if God would have painted a yellow stripe on the back of the elect, those who would be saved, who would accept the gospel, I would go around lifting up shirts. You're saved? Oh, you, oh you're one of them? Come on, come to the church. But since he didn't, I must preach whosoever will, and when whatsoever believes, I know that he is one of the elect. So we go out. We know that the world is full of those who are hungry for the gospel, and for the sake of that, we share the good news of Jesus. If we were to find joy in Jesus' mission, though, there's a second truth that we also need to recognize about this world. In, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that not only is the aroma of Christ life leading to life, but also for some, it's the aroma of death leading to death. That second truth is that there are also many who are going to be opposed to Jesus' message. Are you surprised? Look what happens in verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what Paul was saying and insulting him. They're like, well, what's going on? I don't like this crowd. They start contradicting and arguing and debating. Paul and Barnabas replied with them and said this, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, we are turning now to the Gentiles. See, Jesus knew that the gospel would be rejected. It's not to be a surprise, even by some of his own people, because he sent Paul and Barnabas and said, take this gospel out beyond Israel. It's not because we want to reject and say Israel is to be abandoned, but in Romans he says it's because it's to stir them on to jealousy, in fact, that God's people might see the gospel go out to other people and may be stirred to turn to Jesus themselves. But it's because of their rejection that we got it at all, guys. Did you know that? Did you know because of the rejection of Israel, God moves on to the gospel to bring to the Gentiles? But he also tells us in 1 John, John writes, the beloved disciple, 
to not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world actually hates you. You know, we shouldn't turn on the news and see something that is antithetical to the gospel and be like, oh my goodness, where'd that come from? We, we shouldn't speak to a neighbor and have them be irate and angry about the fact that we'd even suggest Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We shouldn't be caught off guard by all of those things. But we should also recognize that in their rejection, Paul and Barnabas would say here that they have determined their own fate. He tells them, you have determined yourself to be unworthy of eternal life. See, when we speak life, when you point people to the hope and salvation of Jesus, they aren't just rejecting you, they're actually rejecting Jesus himself. That's what Christ told his disciples. In Luke, he told them, if they listen to you, they're listening to me. But if they reject you, they're rejecting me. At the same time, we have to continue to bring the Jesus' message on to others. At the same time, we have to be like Paul and Barnabas and turn from those who reject it and carry the mission onward. Just like that, they said, you reject it, so we're taking it to the Gentiles. And why is it important for us to continue the mission? Well, it's because of these other two truths. And the first is this, that Jesus' mission is our mission. Look at what they say there in verse 46 and 47. After they tell them that you've rejected it, so we're going to the Gentiles, Paul and Barnabas quotes a passage from the Old Testament and says this, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now this is an interesting passage, and I want to do a little bit deeper Bible study with you in this, because there's something that Paul and Barnabas are saying when they quote this passage. It comes from Isaiah. It's an Old Testament Big prophet, great book. You should read it someday. We're not going to go into all the details, but I will tell you this, that Isaiah is talking about servant. He's talking about a servant. He starts off talking about the servant as Israel itself, that God's servant chosen to glorify himself. He chooses to work through them. Deuteronomy makes a similar quote when it talks about what happens at Babel. The nations are split and divided around the world. In verse 9 of chapter 32 says, The Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his inheritance. He chooses a people. You might be familiar with this idea. And that's what Isaiah talks about. But he didn't call out Abraham. He didn't call God's people just to be his people who are special. It's not like those, you know, anybody... Were you like a favorite of your parents? Like you were the favorite kid or whatever like that? No, nobody here? I don't see, I see that hand. No, nobody here. Yeah, Kevin knows, I'm saying. I'm not gonna say I was, I'm putting my hand down. I don't know. All right, so, both parents are here. I can't talk about this. No, um, uh, so it's not a case where Jesus is like, I got a favorite kid, this is my people and it's just you. It's rather he is calling them out to glorify his name through them. He specifically tells Abraham that I've called you out to bless the nations. Like it's through you that the blessing goes out. So Isaiah first talks about God's servant Israel. And he says it in 42 of his letter, chapter 42, where he says, I'm the Lord, I've called you for a righteous purpose and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. You're a light to the nations. You're the one who's supposed to show my glory to the people around the world. You know, do you remember the story, people like to quote this sometimes, the story where Jesus walks into the temple and he's just so ticked off, he flips over tables. You know, the idea, you ever walked into a, into a meal and thought, this food is terrible, I'm just gonna toss over the table. No, you don't do that? Okay, this is me. So <laughs> Jesus goes into the temple and he starts flipping tables. You know why he does this? 
He does this because people are being greedy. They're supposed to be exchanging money with foreigners who are coming into the temple, people who are in the markets, people who are buying goods and, and whatever, but they're robbing them. They have uneven weights. They're weighing gold and stuff, and they're cheating people. And so what he says to them is saying, you are ma- turning my father's house into a den of thieves. You're stealing from people. And the worst part about it was, it was in an area called the, the um, courtyard of the Gentiles. It was a place in the temple that outsiders, non-Jewish people, were supposed to be welcome. Okay, so get this. Jesus shows up. God's people are supposed to be a light to the nations. And instead, they're cheating them and robbing them. Can you see why Jesus is mad? What's he angry about? Come on, man. We're just trying to make a little buck. You're not glorifying God's name by robbing people, by cheating them. But here's the thing. God starts off in Isaiah telling us that his people are a light to the nation, but then he clarifies later in Isaiah, and he starts talking about one servant. Because it's through Israel that the servant, the suffering servant, is going to glorify God's name and be a light to the nations. This is the passage that Paul is quoting. Chapter 49, verse 6 of Isaiah. It is, is it It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. He says it's not enough for you to just be salvation for the Jewish people. Got it? He's clearly saying it's just not for those people. What is it for? I will also make you a light for the nations, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. We just heard that quoted in Acts. Jesus fulfills it. When he's born, he's taken to the temple, and there's a, there's a guy in the temple working named Simeon. And Simeon sees Jesus, and he literally says, great, I can die now. It's exactly what he's essentially saying. All right, I can die. I've seen everything I need to see. He's an old guy, apparently. There are some folks that get to that age of life, they're like, I'm done, I've seen it all. But for this case, the reason he says it is because this, in chapter two of Luke, he says, now master, You can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Jesus was that guy that he's talking about in Isaiah. Now, how does Paul and Barnabas use this passage? Now we've done a little Bible study. Paul and Barnabas take this passage in Isaiah that's about Jesus and they apply it to themselves. That's a little arrogant, isn't it? Seems a little off. What is that? Hey, we're going to turn from you and go to the Gentiles. Why? Because, you know, Isaiah wrote about us. Here's what I want you to see. We are, if you're a believer and in Christ, disciples of Jesus. And I can tell you what Jesus says about his disciples. Specifically in Luke 6, he tells his disciples that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So if Jesus is bringing the light of the gospel to the Gentiles as his disciples, his mission, Jesus' mission of being a light 
to the nations and bringing salvation to the ends of the earth is our mission. It didn't stop with him. It's not his alone. If you are in Christ, if you are one who says to follow him, it's not a comfortable, convenient thing where it's like, I like Jesus and I have, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend t-shirts and I've got a WWJD bracelet from the 90s because, you know, that's coming back. And, uh, sorry, what would Jesus do for those who aren't <laughs> culturally aware of all those things? I will tell you what Jesus would do. He would continue on the mission that God gave him to what? Glorify his name among all the nations. And for us in here, I want you to be aware. If you're a part of that mission, some of you will go. Some of you will go. You will go down the street to your neighbor's house. You will go across the ocean to overseas. Some of you have been to other places. Some of you will go across town to plant another church. Some of you will go. For the rest of you, you need to be sending. Some of you will send, giving, praying, supporting, resourcing. We're all a part of this. Even when David's army went out to fight, some of the men stayed back and watched the camp because they needed to. There's a part to play. And I'm not suggesting for all of you, but for some of you, it's on the front lines. It's out there amongst people who have not heard this message, the ones who are hungry for it. And it shouldn't be a burden to go on this mission. It's not meant to be done out of a reluctant duty. We're not supposed to grow weary in good deeds because the last truth from this passage I want us to see is that Jesus' mission is our joy. It's our joy. Look how the Gentiles here respond to this news. In verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. They were rejoicing. They were hungry for Jesus' message, and they were rejoicing when they received it. The word spread. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. We saw people coming into the church in droves, just like all through Acts. But look how the Jewish people respond in verse 50. The Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. They incited persecution. In their jealousy that we heard about earlier, their jealousy, they stirred up persecution. You know, a lot of us in the States, even if you go uh, just down the road to share with your neighbor and they say, no, no, thank you, I'm not like that, or maybe then they yell at you, that's not this kind of persecution. We, we don't get that. Often Paul is at a risk of his own life. We, we have a privilege in the U.S. to be able to speak boldly where Paul was stoned. His life and Paul and Barnabas' life together was a, at risk, and they, were, they had real concern, to be valid concern to worry about. And what was their response? Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. They shook the dust off their feet. That feels, 
Like, so they're throwing so much shade. I'm just saying, that's what it feels like to me. They, they, they see the rejection and they're like, all right, whatever. You know, it's, this is what we used to do. You know, just the dust off our shoulders, I shake it off and move on. I'm over this. But it's not so arrogant because it's actually a callback to what Jesus told his disciples to do. He said, when you go out, he sent out the 72. If the house, if any house rejects you, to shake the dust off your feet and move on. It's meaning this, don't let it stop you. Don't let it discourage you. Don't let it hold you back. Move forward. There's people, like I said in the beginning, who are gonna oppose the gospel, but there are people hungry for Jesus's message. There are those that you will come across who will rejoice like the Gentiles. And then how were the disciples here in Acts after they were rejected though? It says they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever been rejected? I mean, did you, did you ever have a school or a place that you really tried to get into and you got a rejection letter for that place? Or maybe someone you felt who was a friend rejected you or abandoned you or walked away? Did you walk away from that incident feeling joy? A whole town kicks you out? I don't think anybody here has felt that feeling. Maybe some people have been banned from a fun park. I got kicked out of a fun park for driving recklessly with a go-kart. That wasn't fun. I didn't feel joy. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> See, I say things that come to mind. I know someone's going to bring this up this week. I know it. It's going to be a conversation. How were they filled? They were filled with joy. They weren't caught up in the momentary affliction brought on by the Jews who rejected them. They found their, they weren't, they weren't set aside and deterred thinking, oh no, is this ever going to go forward? Oh no, is the gospel dead? They found their joy in the advance of God's kingdom. They saw the gospel go throughout the whole region. They saw and they rejoiced in the word of the Lord among the Gentiles. They saw that. Many will oppose the gospel, but so many are hungry and we can rejoice in those who receive it. When the kingdom of God is making way, we should expect the kingdom of this world to fight back. That's what's happening here. That's one of the things that's happening here is that through them, the kingdom of this world is pushing back and trying to slow the gospel. And so we can have joy because we know Christ is building his kingdom. He says this, Jesus said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Did you know that gates are not an offensive weapon? Nobody runs into battle with gates. It's defense. So he's not saying that, that, that I will build my church and that hell is going to come in here and attack us. Rather, we are on the offensive and that hell won't be able to hold us back. It's not going to stop Jesus' mission. Bring Jesus' message. Rejoice with those who believe. Urge them to continue in the grace of God. Disciple them. Show them his grace. And when rejection happens, shake the dust off and press on for the kingdom. But I think there's another warning for us here. It's not just the opposition of the kingdom of this world. There's another kingdom at war here. I would argue that the other thief of joy that we need to be aware of is building and protecting our own kingdom. Now, this is what I mean. 
the Jewish people here were stirred to jealousy. Jealousy. In a way, it's because I would argue they were protecting their kingdom. They grew up in Judaism, God's chosen people. They were enjoying a level of comfort in this city. They saw proselytes coming to Judaism. Clearly, they had seen conversions and growth. Judaism had seen actually a lot of Roman converts in this town. People don't, that's why they had people in their community who were proselytes who were Roman. Actually, it says they had favor with prominent women and men of the city. They had enjoyed those things. On the surface, they were faithful. But then these new preachers came into town. And they brought this huge crowd in with a new message. A message that went beyond what they'd been teaching, what they had learned. They had brought this message of Jesus, and all of a sudden, everyone in the city comes out. How long have they been there? I don't know. Maybe they've been plodding along faithfully, doing their thing as a community in a synagogue. Hopefully seeing Gentiles come in to meet the one true Most High God. But these two guys show up, and the city comes. The next Sabbath, all the Gentile riffraff from the city filled the synagogue probably even taking some of their seats. They weren't able to see past those things to see what God was doing through Jesus. They were jealous of the message that they brought and the response of the Gentiles, and it drove them to rage and anger, and it drove them to persecute Paul and Barnabas. And so here's my warning for us. It's a warning against building our own kingdom. See, we're not, Paul actually calls us uh, in Romans, he refers to those who are Gentiles and now in the faith as grafted on branches. Like there's a plant and all the Jewish people are part of it. And then we're another branch from somewhere else and we're grafted in, we're, we're attached. We're not a part of the original plant. We're not a part of God's people originally, but we're brought in through the gospel. And he also says this, don't think so quickly that if those who are original plants would fault and folly like this, reject Jesus, that you can't mess up yourself. That you won't do the same thing and walk down the same path. Many of us have grown up in a cultural Christian West. We've experienced a level of Christian privilege, really. On a regular basis, though, let me, let me just tell you, on a regular basis, we see attacks on Christianity that are railed against and people bemoaning the downfall of American culture. And I don't want us to conflate the two. I want God's will to be done on earth in America too. I want, I want legislation, and I want policies, and I want people to look more and more like Jesus. I do. But I would argue that that battle is first fought in coffee shops, in break rooms, and across the dinner table before it ever reaches a corporate boardroom, a presidential election, or the Supreme Court. It's the conversations where you and I bring the good news of the gospel and the humility and grace and kindness of Jesus to our neighbor. And that's where hearts are changed. We also don't want to be so blinded by the culture wars in America to miss the fact that the church globally is actually on the rise like places in Africa and Asia. Like, the kingdom of God is advancing everywhere. And if we get lost in the trees, we don't see the beauty of the forest. 
that missionaries and church planters and people with the gospel are going around. We're not the center point of the worldwide missions anymore, really. You'll go into places that I've been in third world countries and the privilege of seeing Korean missionaries coming in. To bring the gospel and continue the fight. To trust in the one true king and to tell people about his salvation. In addition to that, if we look, we also don't want to be uh, the kind of church that is so tied up in our comfort and our status quo that we actually alienate people who are hundreds and thousands of people living around us in our community who are chasing salvation and joy in the world, but will be disappointed and will need a hope. A place where when folks run to the end of their line and recognize that the world's promises don't fulfill and insufficient, that the church still has the door open and says there is a hope of salvation in the gospel and Jesus is the way. There's a movie that's out, it's popular right now, I haven't seen it, called The Jesus Revolution. I mean, I saw it. It depicts a very small conservative church opening up their doors and hearts to a bunch of long-haired hippies. We call hippies anymore? Do we call people hippies anymore? I think people talked about they smelled funny. They had this long, nasty hair. It felt unclean. Sitting on the floors everywhere. I mean, think about your small town, little rural church. Suit and tie. Got your hymns. And then all these hippies come in. But the story talks about the other doors that opened up. Because this church was willing to open their doors and their hearts. I don't want us to be afraid of having someone that doesn't look like us. Or doesn't think like us. Or doesn't have the background that we have. I don't want us to be in a situation where we won't open our doors and our hearts to people who aren't like us. Are we willing to be that church that says, come as you are and meet Jesus? Because we, we don't need you to clean up first. We all come to the cross with our filthy rags, and Christ cleans us all. And he continues to clean and change us every day. If you think you've reached there, you are not there. In addition, one more thought comes to mind. What if God brings a new church right down the road. What if a preacher comes into this area and brings every unbeliever from Raleigh into his doors? He just starts preaching, popping, and they just... Are we competing? Are we fighting because, hey, we've been here almost two years, guys. What's up? We've been here for a while. Come over here and try ours out. Is this our kingdom or is this God's? Listen, uh, if you're an unbeliever, this idea of the joy of the mission might be really weird to hear because first you're going to have to find joy in Christ. Have you heard about this grace that Paul and Barnabas preached about? Have you heard about the grace of God in Christ? That there's salvation in Jesus and no one else? Believers, for us here, members of King's Cross, where are we finding our joy? Is it in Jesus' mission? We're in the comforts of this world.
So you carry a message of salvation. It's the aroma of life to those who are perishing. How is God leading you to bring salvation to the ends of the earth? Because Jesus' message, his mission, is our mission. And his mission is our joy. Down the street, into ministry and church planting, across the ocean. Who or what are you allowing to deter you from that mission? Is it yourself? Is it other people that are intimidating you? We have to consider that. My prayer is that all of those barriers and boundaries would be removed and we would find pure joy in that mission together. In fact, as King's Cross, we are so committed to the mission of Christ around the world that we don't normally ask for a response, but I wanted to today. I'm not asking you to come up front, but we added, because if you have right now in your head thinking about this, like maybe I should go overseas, maybe I should look at church ministry, I actually really need some help in how to share the gospel with my neighbor. If any of those thoughts come across your mind, here's what I want you to do. That kingscrossrally.com slash connect, I added another form to it. And you can go in there and tell us how we can join you in mission. We can invite you to do so. You can jump in right now. And here's the deal. If you say, I might want to be a church planner, I might want to do an internship, I might want to go overseas. It is not a contract if you check yes right now. It is only us wanting to walk with you and pray with you to pursue the mission that God has ahead of you. Because we believe he does. We believe he does. And we want to equip our people. We want to love you enough to walk with you and to see God glorified in your life, just like Paul and Barnabas, to bring the light of the gospel to the nations. Don't hesitate. Let's start mission together now. Because Jesus' mission is our joy. We shouldn't find it other ways, other ways in other places. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to demonstrate such love to your people that you would send the gospel and Jesus to all people. And thank you, God, that we see the gospel going forth around the world, that we see right now the church growing in places all around the globe. We can celebrate that. We can join in that. We can go. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be a church of people who go for the gospel, that we would join and remember that you have called us to mission. Lord, I pray that we'd be a church that sends out, that we would equip one another for the gospel, that we would give of the resources that you provided King's Cross to be a steward of those resources to send out for the glory of your name. God, thank you for reminding us in this passage that though many will be opposed, that the world before us is full of people hungry for your message of salvation. And God, give us the grace that today, tomorrow, next week, throughout our life, that we would see people radically changed and rejoice with them like Paul and Barnabas were able to do. Rejoice with them so that our hearts would be full of joy in your spirit. I ask all this in Christ's name.